Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Jonathan Sattler, and uh, I bring in the panelists and our uh, topic of discussion here in just a few minutes, but we'll just remind everyone of how you can interact with us on the show. If you're coming in on the Zoom app and you'd like to ask any comments or questions about what we're talking about today, you can submit those to the uh, comment or uh, comment or questions and answer box. I'll get it out in a second. Uh, or the comment window, either one of those is fine. And uh, we'll be monitoring that and able to answer your questions on the show. Or if you're on Scott's Facebook page, you can just comment in the live comment window on the live video and I'll be looking at that and monitoring that as well. Uh, if you have any other questions you want us to talk about either, um, not related to what we're talking about, we're happy to discuss what you want to discuss. So uh, ask any questions that you have that you'd like us to talk about from the scriptures. So um, with all that being said, we'll bring in our panelists for today. Uh, today, we've got our program director, Scott Smelser with us. How are you doing today, Scott? Muted, now unmuted. There you go. Muted and now unmuted. So that's good. That'll that'll be helpful for our show in the next few minutes. So. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we've also got Justin Dobbs with us. How are you doing, Justin? Doing well, thank God. Good to see you guys. And Dan Bunting is with us as well. How are you, Dan? I'm super. Good. All right, so Scott, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, uh, so I just uh, threw this out uh, to the guys. Uh, we're calling it Audible here and a topic that they are all familiar with and they all have in common. Uh, and so I'm going to be interviewing them about it. I'll probably have some comments myself too, because we all four have it in common. And that is raising boys. And I think we should another time do uh, uh, a lesson on raising girls. But today we're going to start off on raising boys. Uh, so, uh, all of our panel is in the process of doing that. And what I'd like to recommend that we do is start off with some scriptures. And so if, if the panel will start bringing up scriptures and we'll read each one and talk about some, some principles from each of them, and then we'll get into just some, in the latter part of the program, more just kind of discussion and application, like, you know, current challenges, challenges in our society, and how to implement those biblical principles into the challenges that we're looking at. But if somebody just said, you know, what does the Bible say about raising boys? Who wants to pick a scripture and start us out? And, and by the way, while we're doing that, I'm going to share with everybody, this is Pennsylvania in January. And so you're looking out there if you can see it, the Susquehanna River completely frozen over. Wow. 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 Year, but it's pretty. All right. Cool. Who wants to start us off? What does the Bible say about raising boys? Some of these are going to be about raising children generally. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, uh, the first one that came to mind uh, is one that uh, my sons and I have uh, committed to memory and we repeat to each other. Uh, is First Kings 2, where David is about to go the way of all the earth, and he tells Solomon, who's going to be uh, it's the first peaceful transfer of the kingdom in Israel, uh, and he's, he tells him to be strong and show yourself a man, uh, to keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do. Um, 
talks about God keeping his promise uh, to him. So there's just a lot of rich things in that passage that talk to us uh, about obeying God in general, um, about the, the duty of a, of a king, but also just this idea of what it means to be a man. And we, we have summarized that passage with each other, um, saying real men obey God. Um, First Kings 2 is, you know, how do you show yourself a man? And I think that idea is repeated later by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. He tells all the Christians, you know, to show yourself men. Uh, there's something about masculinity that all Christians are supposed to aspire to. And in the same way, I think uh, in the feminine that all Christians are to aspire to, we are the, the bride of Christ. Uh, but this quality, this trait that I think the world doesn't really see as masculine is real men uh, submit to their maker. And that's uh, uh, it sort of it flies in the face of what masculinity is said to be in our day and age. Um, but men know their place and they know how to obey. Yeah, and the man that thinks his place is king of the universe does not understand his place at all. Excellent. Uh, before we leave First Kings, let's go back to chapter one, for example, of how not to raise boys. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, Dustin just read to us about a conversation there with David and Solomon. If there was a glitch. David's about to die. And even though Solomon was supposed to be king, what does Adonijah do? Verse five. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself. The son of Haggith, but also son of David. So this is one of the princes. And what did he say? That I will be king. I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, 15 men to run before him. And uh, by the way, his father's not dead yet. You know, what, what would, you're all raising boys. Uh, you're not looking forward to this time, but all three of you are someday going to die. And when you are terminally ill and elderly and you're on your deathbed, you're about to die. Um, what would you expect a respectable son of yours to be doing? Being there with you and yeah. helping and comforting or bedside manner, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there to act along with whatever she's going to need to help get through this and everything. You know, if, if David was a hoarder, you know, help clear out the garage, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, I was thinking clean up the house and mow the lawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how about ignoring dad and just doing a coup and, you know, you've been waiting on him to die, but you don't really want to wait till he does die and you declare yourself king. Why on earth would he do this? read verse six. His father had never at any time displeased him by saying, why have you done this? And so. David was not a very good father. Um, you can see this in several places. And one of the remarkable things here is he manages in this instance to be a worse father than Eli. You know, Eli dies because while his sons are misbehaving, all he manages to do is say, what? You know, and David had never challenged his son and saying, why yeah. are you doing this? So example of how to do it, example of how not to do it, Jonathan. 
Yeah, and that reminds me of the passage that I was thinking of in, in Proverbs 19. Uh, and there may be some other passages that relate to that story, but Proverbs 19, verse 18, um, the ESV says, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. And I, I like other translations. Some translations will word that second phrase as do not be a willing party to their death uh, or do not desire their death or, or those types of things. And really because of David's actions and how he treated his sons, Adonijah um, and Absalom and Ammon and, and various others, um, how he wasn't involved or, or didn't discipline them contributed to their deaths. Um, a lot of his sons are murdered and killed because they were terrible people that did terrible things that were never corrected by their father. And so really David was a willing party in the death of a majority of his sons um, because he refused to discipline them. Yeah. Yeah. I think what we find out, uh, what I think is qu quite interesting is that uh, I assume that there are some decent dads in the Bible, but we don't ever find out who they are. Uh, God is a good father, and everyone else in the Bible who's described as doing some sort of daddy behavior, interacting with his children, uh, does a terrible job. Here, here's an example. Um, we find out how David interacted, at least with his one son, and it's terrible. Uh, we can look at what he taught his son Solomon and say, wow, there's a good dad, but he had a lot more sons than just Solomon. No. Um, and, and David is a good example of somebody who in the Bible, while he um, might be able to do great things in the kingdom or in the large scale, uh, David is, is active in the large scale. Abraham is another example. Uh, when they come home, there's, uh, they show themselves to be much more than human <laughs> and uh, very capable at being uh, a fool just like the rest of us. I can think of some good mothers, like Timothy is told, the faith that was in your mother, exactly. in your grandmother, mm -hmm. come from his father. But that's because we shouldn't. But unfortunately, being a good father doesn't come automatically. It yeah. takes work, it takes humility, it takes love, it takes sacrifice, it takes focus. And too many times that doesn't happen. Somebody brings out another passage. A, a lot of ideas popped into my mind. Um, turn to Titus. I'm going to look there. There's a lot of passages that we might associate with being good for um, uh, training up boys because it's connected to masculine traits and the um, ideas that we connect to more, more masculine ideas than feminine ideas. Um, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, well, that seems like a masculine verse. I mean, but there's a lot of angry ladies out there as well. But um, so, so there's a lot that we might sometimes think specifically in one direction. And we might uh, think about anger when we're talking with a boy. The conversation might be different from the anger conversation we have with a daughter. So there, there's going to be some differences there, even though boys and girls are angry. Uh, but in, in Titus chapter two, when, when Paul's telling Titus the different things to teach the men and the women older and younger, I always love how hilarious his instruction goes. Uh, in verse two, older men are given one, two, three, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves of mind, and they must teach what is good. And then the teaching goes to the to the young ladies, and so train the younger women 
to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So the older women in particular have the biggest list, and they are teaching the younger women the second biggest list. And then for the young men, self-control. One thing. And it's because um, um, young men can't do the one thing. Uh, it's it, and that one thing is listed in all four, uh, in all four person, you know, the younger men and the younger women and the older men and the older women all need to work on self-control. And Paul says, one job. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so you, you, you have one job to teach boys and they won't learn it. <laughs> um, it's, it's the one, the one is often more they can hand. And yes, young girls are going to have this, uh, a, 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 a difficulty there too. But, but girls have an easier time sitting still in Bible class or church or school, and boys have a harder time sitting still. It's just, it's just part of what's wired into their, into their system. And like before, when you mentioned about like anger, you know, the boy's anger, maybe, you know, he wants to punch this other boy in the face. The girl's anger might be she wants to get on social media and turn all her friends against some other friend. That's a dangerous six-year-old. I want to suggest is a possibility here in verse seven, and then go over here to Justin. Um, the younger men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, and then he starts talking to Titus. Um, I don't know that this is true, but I envision Titus as being a younger man, but he may not be. We know that Timothy is. You know, uh, don't let anybody despise your youth. If Titus is also a younger man. It may be that when he gets to the fourth category here, it includes Titus. And so exhort the younger men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself an example of good works in your doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. And so maybe if, and I don't know that he was, but if Titus is a young man, he may be expanding here and making some of these things personal. Uh, towards Titus, but who knows? He might have been the same age as Paul, for all I know. Justin? Well, this idea of self-control, um, you know, so many of the principles are going to apply to raising daughters, raising sons. We, we wrestle with many similar things, and Danny pointed that out rightly in verse 2. Self-control is listed in verse 5. Self-control is listed. So everybody gets self-control. Uh, everyone needs to work on that. Um, but I think my method of trying to train my children in having self-control is not so very good. Um, and we talk about tough love. And I think love does need to have a, a certain strength to it. We're willing to do hard things like tell our children no. Um, uh, or learn to, to train them with a yes in mind that has them wait, learn patience. But if you look at verse 11 and 12, uh, it says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. What it is that God uses to train self-control um, is grace in, in verse 11. And it puts me in mind of um, Psalm 18, uh, if you want to turn there or hold a finger in Titus 2, we may come back to that. But, but in Psalm 18, uh, David writes about God's power and his greatness to protect him, uh, kind of like a father figure, except this father figure is more like a smoke monster. 
in Psalm 18, God is pictured with wings and, you know, fire and embers coming out. And he's just, he's just terrifying. But then you come to Psalm 18 and uh, verse 35, David says of God, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. Mm -hmm. um, I've experienced times where with my my children, we, we have high expectations for our kids and for our boys, and we should, we really should. We're not doing them any favors by, um, by cushioning them. But um, I think at times, I know at times, I've had to, to ask forgiveness for my children for being harsh. Uh, and Paul warns uh, the, the fathers in Colossae for not being harsh with their wives, uh, not letting their children come to be embittered against them. It's grace that our children need. And we want to train them to have self-control. But David says, God's gentleness with me. He could have crushed me. And I think there are times where physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, we can crush our children if we're not careful. Uh, and, and so they need to know that we're on their side. Again, it doesn't mean that we're cushy with them. Uh, it doesn't mean that we uh, don't push them hard and challenge them to grow. But teaching them to have self-control, which is a hard thing, as Dan pointed out, you know, boys have a hard time sitting still. Um, but, but knowing that they have a hard time sitting still, maybe that should factor in the, the things that I demand of them. Maybe that should factor into the way that I lead them, that I don't set them up for failure, but they know that I'm trying to set them up for success. Um, I think that fathers maybe wrestle with that. I know that I have uh, wrestling with how to be gentle with my children and still demand great things of them. Yeah. Dan, you had a thought? Yeah. Well, you don't teach self-control by tying them to a chair, right? Self-control is by them being willing to sit in that chair. So you say, we're just going to sit there for five minutes and then you can do whatever you want. And it might be six minutes the next week, but you, you know, you train and you um, educate and you provide the space, but you don't, um, um, self-control is, is taught by having the freedom to do more and choosing to do less. Self-control is not taught by putting a lot of walls around them. Deuteronomy, oh, not Deuteronomy, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't say control a Amen. child in the way he should go, and when he is not old, when he is old, he will not <clears throat> That doesn't mean, and nobody here is suggesting that there aren't times we need to control our children. But if that's all we do, we have utterly failed. Uh, because you have all heard people say this, teenagers say, I can't wait till I'm 18. And it's not because, oh, I want to have my birthday. I want out of this house so I can go do what I want to do. That's a child that's been controlled but not trained. And I've heard fathers say, you know, well, I told them they're never going to do that under my roof. And they're going to wait till they get out. Yeah, because they may or may not do it under your roof. But if that's all you've done, they're going to do it under their best friend's roof, you know, their roommate's roof, their own roof, et cetera, et cetera. Justin. Um, we're talking about boys. Um, uh, self-control you know that was an issue for people back in the first century but I think especially for us today it's not that things are harder but there are probably ways in which self-control is going to be challenged today um, 
I'm thinking about the internet. I'm thinking about the ease of entertainment. Um, but boys are going to also be challenged by sexual immorality in ways that are particular to boys. Now, let me put a, a, a little bit of a stop here because I think more and more women are being uh, in, entangled by temptations to lust and sexual immorality. Pornography is affecting our sisters. And so we, we need to be helping them and the older women be helping the younger women in this regard too. Um, but, but more and more in the Bible, uh, wisdom is addressed to the sons. Proverbs 5, you have a father talking to his son about sexual immorality. I think one of the things that we can do is help our, our boys at two, three, four, be developing some habits. We're not necessarily talking about pornography, but we're building a framework for them where they can engage in a world that is trying to destroy their character, trying to tear down their ideas of God's ideals for them and be, be helping them to see all the good things that God gives them, showing them God's grace, that he wants to bless you, he wants to give you uh, these delights. Um, ultimately, your delight is in him, but even just thinking about how do I and my wife, how do my wife and I model for our children the blessings of marriage, um, the blessings of our physical relationship as it is appropriate. I think there are a lot of things that a dad and a mom together as a team can be doing to to help their children see that, you know, self-control is a really good thing. Uh, yeah. And God is gracious and he blesses us. And going back to First Kings 2, um, the idea that uh, God wants to fulfill his promises to us. Um, there are a lot of good things that God wants to give as we walk with him. And when we walk away from him thinking, I've got this, I know my own way, I want to do things for my pleasure. We are, we are walking away from his delights and we're walking into all kinds of trouble. Um, yeah. So I think there are a lot of things that we can do on that front today, and we need to do, we need to step up and do that, because our, our sons are facing a world that is just happening all the time with sexual immorality. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one advantage that we have uh, in, in how to communicate those ideas and how to communicate the ideal uh, that that God has given for uh, for boys to grow up into, to be men, is that the Bible is just absolutely full of great stories, some of them even adventure stories, right, of what godly men did and how godly men failed. Um, we have good men doing bad things and good men doing good things, right? We can see their mistakes and we can see their, their triumphs. And so when, um, when we're talking to a son who just wants to do his own thing or get away with whatever he wants, how many stories in the Bible is there of somebody who gets what he wants or tries to grab what he wants? We reference that in, in 1 Kings 1. Or the, this, <clears throat> the parable in the Proverbs of the young man who's walking down the bad alley and he doesn't know what's down there, but he kind of has an idea of what's down there and how that ruins him. You know, it's, to it's told in that parable format. Um, the, the time when David should have been at work, but he stayed home and was lazy. Of course, work was going to war with the rest of the men. And what was the result of, of, of laziness or what was the result of looking over at somebody else's house just out of curiosity? And so we have a lot of stories of boys. And, and again, um, the, the Bible, most of the stories in the Bible are about boys uh, and uh, their successes and failures. And so we can use that to help, to help teach our boys um, uh, just how some people overreact or underreact or, 
the great times when when young men react appropriately, even when they have bad things happening to them. That changes the subject just a, a little bit to another verse that I was thinking about. And you guys are are farther along than I am. I, I'm I'm raising a boy, but he is 11 months old <laughs> right now, so very entry level still. Um, but there's still some things that we've discussed and, and noticed and want to try to be able to do. And um, uh, when I say we, I'm talking about me and my wife. And um, one of the verses that comes up in my mind and thinking about is Colossians chapter three, which I think you mentioned, Justin, but uh, Colossians three and, and Ephesians five make a similar point, but worded slightly differently. Uh, in Colossians three, 21, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, and I've been thinking about that, how to make it, make it so that my son is not discouraged by my parenting. Um, like, I, I don't know how much he's actually retaining here, but the big thing that we have right now with my son is teaching him the, the, um, the power of no. And, and when mom and dad say no or no, no, that's final. And like, you have to listen and obey the no, no. And that's kind of like his one big rule is like that's his only rule and what we've discussed and what we don't want to do is make it so that every interaction that we have with him is enforcing no no <laughs> because then it's like he starts to associate anytime that dad looks at me he's upset with what I did <laughs> and he's frustrated with what I did and what kind of relationship will that be with my son later on whenever he grows up if like if my whole relationship is founded on correcting him and and training him and disciplining him but there's never you know, good job, or wow, I'm so proud of you, or, or you did really great on this, or, or, or in, those encouraging types of building up and loving and nurturing types of things that little boys really need from their fathers and from both of their parents, but they, they need to be corrected, but they also don't need to be corrected into discouragement. Um, discipline kind of has a line that needs to not be pushed too far in, in the life of a child, and uh, so we try to get ahead of the curve with our son, and make sure that he's not always discouraged. He needs to be stopped when he's doing something dangerous or wrong. But there needs to also be times where it's like, he did something really great and we need to really praise him for that and, and uh, make sure that he understands that we really appreciate when he does good and, and not just always looking to zap him. Um, people sometimes maybe have that false idea of God as well as the father, that mm -hmm. the only time that God really wants to interact with me is whenever he wants to zap me. <laughs> And, and no, God wants to praise us and exalt us and uplift us and, 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 is, and is happy whenever we do well and, uh, and, and those kinds of things. But he will also discipline us when we do poorly. Um, but he's not just a God that only disciplines always. He also blesses and helps and encourages as well. Um, and so that's a good model for earthly fathers to follow, I think. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that's excellent, Jonathan. And, and uh, <clears throat> one of the, the first two words that I teach my children one is no and one is yay um, you know there, there are good things and I'm, there's there are exciting things and we can even look to the first the first boy uh, who was a man right Adam was when Adam was made he was he was uh, full grown but uh, you know we it's, it's fun to kind of wonder um, what was this full grown man's mind like as he's seeing everything new but one of the first things that, that again, we, we, we often think, well, the first thing that God ever told Adam, you know, after he gives Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden, is he says, no, this tree is no. But there was actually a whole bunch of yes. Tend the garden, keep it, and every single tree is yes, except for the one. And, and if we forget that aspect of, of the nature of God, 
like like you're pointing out, uh, then we're going to have a bad view of God, and and we will give our child a bad view of us if that's the way we act. But again, the other thing that God gave Adam, and this shows up as well when uh, the first distinction, uh, the major distinction that we see between the man and the woman in, in chapter three, when the, when the curses and the punishments and the consequences come because of sin, is uh, man has, uh, we see man has this role in the world that is outside and woman has this role in the world that is inside, right? She, she has consequences and, 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 and this work that pertains to the house and the home and the family and the raising of the children and supporting and, and the husband is out there and he's working and making and doing and gathering and bringing in the sheaves or what have you. And that's part of the building blocks of what God has made in boys and in girls. And, you know, people are going to play back and forth and, and try out some different things. And there's a lot of guys that might uh, feel very comfortable in the home and a lot of women who feel very comfortable out there working in the field. That's not the point. But with boys, it strikes me we're going to do them a big disservice if we don't give them <clears throat> work and uh, work for a two-year-old boy is, you know, hammering something, whether it's a nail or, or, a, or a piece of wood. Um, we, we give them these tasks. We give them the, uh, you can be like a, uh, you can be a worker. You can be, uh, you can be like one of the construction workers and here's a hammer and here's a board. And if you can manage to hit this nail, that's, that's even, that's extra points. And you give them things to do like that. You give them work. Uh, you don't actually give them chores are helpful, but you, you, I think boys in particular need to be given this, this, they will have a desire to do that work and to create and to make and to get out there. And if we nourish that um, at a young age with, um, if not practical tasks, but practical uh, uh, practices, here's a saw, see if you can cut all the way through this stick. Here's a knife, try not to bleed too much. Here's a hammer, don't hit your sibling. I mean, th those are kind of the, the limits to the rules that we can give them and they won't make anything and they'll mostly destroy everything that they touch. But they're, they're beginning that, that labor of being active with labor. Um, but if we give them a screen, if we give them a phone, if we give them a game, they're not making anything. They're not contributing. They're not, um, they're not learning by the mistake of hitting the hammer on their thumb. They're, they're not experiencing and learning. And that's something I think is really important for boys is that they get those hands-on practices. Give them a pile of dirt. Tell them to see what they can make out of it. Give them a shovel and see how deep they can get. Um, give them a rake. And um, after they rake leaves once, they'll never want to do it again, but at least they've learned how to rake leaves. Uh, and th this is absolutely vital. The problem is it takes so much work to provide those opportunities for boys. We have to get off of our screens and our phones and our laptops and our job and give it to them and be ready for them when they do cut their thumb and start bleeding everywhere, or when they do start getting close to breaking something that we don't want broken. So it takes a lot of work out of us to provide that opportunity for the boys to practice being men. And, and I'll, I'll say on that, um, there's, there's, just, there's a lot of, a lot of biblical principles and then a lot of experiences that come with us. Uh, you know, John, you're just getting started um, for what it's worth. I don't have any boys that I've finished raising. They're, they're all uh, under my roof, but um, you know, I, I gave an ax. It was my carving ax, so it's razor sharp. Uh, let my son borrow it. He was seven at the time, six. six. 
Um, and I gave him a little guidance and I'm 10 feet away from him, but my hand wasn't on his hand. I, I you know, you, you try to give, he's got a scar basically where he almost severed his thumb. Um, so don't call CPS on me, but um, same son. And I had given him an instruction about where he could dig holes. He wanted to dig holes. And it was great. You know, we live, we lived uh, on the edge of some woods. Go take my shovel, go dig some holes, showed him where. Saw him digging in the yard. And I said, son, I don't want you digging in the yard. Don't dig in the yard. And I'm splitting wood with another child. Um, and this is partly to my point, is, is bring your children to work with you. Um, Genesis 18, 19, God tells Abraham, uh, I've chosen him that he may command his children after him. <clears throat> we bring our children with us. We, we train them by showing them, you know, put your hands on their hands, bring them to work with you. Um, you know, give, give them work to do that's meaningful and purposeful because you're doing it uh, and they'll want to help. But I turned around from splitting wood with another child and saw my boy uh, digging the hole in the yard where I just told him. And it's downhill. He can't see me. I'm like, I'm downwind or whatever it is. And he can't smell me coming. And so I go down and just stand next to him while he's digging the hole. And he finally looks up and it's dinner time. And uh, as gently as I know how, I tell him, son, you're going to take that wheelbarrow up the hill and get that pile of dirt. And you're going to fill this hole. And you're not going to have dinner until you're done. And we all went inside and we could, we're sitting at the dinner table and we're looking outside the window, watching him struggle with this wheelbarrow up and down the hill while we're sitting there eating. And I'll tell you what I did is I finished eating as quickly as I could and went out there and helped him. Um, but that was important for him to do. And it was important for me to come back and help him. Yeah. And when he came back in and had dinner, that was probably the best dinner he'd had in a long time. But uh, demanding that they obey and then giving them, I think, fitting punishments. It's really challenging to do that, but it's not just arbitrary. Giving them meaningful work where they're working with you and you're working with them. You know that you're, they know that you're rooting for them. Um, raising boys is such a joy um, because you get a man on the other side of it. Um, that's, that's the product of raising boys. It should be. But yeah, the, the, the yes is really important, you know, telling them yes, and here's how you do it, and let me show you. And so probably the most challenging thing I've found in raising children in general is just, I've got to raise myself. Uh, I've got to discipline myself. Um, the, the, the proverb uh, in 23, Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Um, we've got to get their hearts. And so if we don't encourage them, like you were saying, Jonathan, if they're always discouraged because they always think dad's against them, um, if they don't spend any time with us because then they, they can't see us in action, they've got to be able to see that we're trying to do it right too, that God is working on us and then through us working on them. There's just a lot that's got to happen there, but uh, they've got to, we've got to get their hearts. And if you don't get their hearts and it's just surface level, superficial obedience, uh, we've missed it. We've missed raising boys entirely. Uh, but man, it's fun. It's so fun. Um, yeah, um, God wants kids. You know, God God wanted children. And I'm afraid sometimes uh, we tend to look at, our, maybe it's just me, but I tend to look at my children as an inconvenience. Um, but we ought to delight in them because God delights to have us.
know, one of the things that I was thinking about, and this, this verse doesn't, I guess, really specifically relate to parenting, um, but it's something I've thought about in, in Philemon, whenever Paul is interacting with Philemon, and it's a very short letter, um, but he's, he's expressing his desires for what Philemon would do after he sends Onesimus, his runaway slave back to him and how he wants him to treat him and various different aspects about that. And there are other things sprinkled in, but near the end of the letter, um, Paul says in, in Philemon verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Um, and I, I like that, like thinking about what's in Paul's mind whenever he writes that, what it seems to me like what he's trying to do is encourage Philemon that, um, you know, Paul has every ounce of confidence in him, that he is a good person and that he will do the right thing. And Paul has, has trusts him and what he will do. But then he also challenges him <laughs> in his words. So he says, I'm confident in, in you and I trust you, but I'm also challenging you to surprise me <laughs> and do something even greater than what I would expect. And I think that that's a good model to follow as, as parents too, to be really confident and trust our kids. And maybe this will come at different stages as we start to train them more and introduce them to more things, but like to, to give them a task and trust them to do it and let them know that you trust them to do that, that you expect them to succeed, but also challenge them to do above and beyond what you expect them to do. Um, and, and oftentimes people rise up to those ch types of challenges. I think sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking that, um, uh, you know, if we set the expectations too high, we'll just be disappointed and they'll disappoint themselves. But really like oftentimes the higher the expectations are set, the more people are motivated to meet those expectations. Um, and like, I've noticed this uh, in some of just some interaction with some younger boys at some camps that I've been able to be a part of. Uh, in the summers, they're not my kids, but it, just in interacting with them, maybe boys especially really want to be challenged and they wanna prove themselves um, in, in certain ways. And so if we give them good challenges to meet, then they'll rise up and meet those challenges head on and, and be surprising in how uh, mature and successful that they can be uh, in some situations. But uh, having the attitude of like, uh, you know, people often say, oh, boys will be boys. And that's just, that's just what boys do. And, you know, you can't really expect too much of them and that kind of thing. Well, I don't think that's true at all. You can expect a lot from your boys. Um, while also balancing that with things like what Justin's been saying, the gentleness and the care and, and the nurture and those sorts of things, but like set the expectations high and, and be proud of them when they meet those expectations and gentle with them when they don't. Um, and that will go a long way. One of the passages that comes to mind, uh, and, and so many of these passages we've been talking about apply to boys and girls, but um, we've been talking about work and uh, being creative and purposeful in our work. Uh, one of the things, and, and it's hard not to uh, stereotype, but I think in our generation, uh, it's really easy for boys to be lazy. Um, and that's probably always been the case. Proverbs talks about the slothful man, the sluggard. Uh, and when will you arise? You turn on your bed like a door on its hinge. But in Ephesians 4, um, verse 28, it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I think there's a lot of, there is a gap uh, I think today for to be filled by givers, we we need we need servants, and 
maybe sometimes we want to train our children for greatness, but in the kingdom, what that means is training our children for service. That means training them to be less, training them to be humble and to be givers and looking for the people to lift up above themselves. Who can I count as more significant? And that's, that's something that they need to see in us uh, and do along with us. But, but helping our children to, you know, Romans 12 talks about outdo one another, helping our children learn to compete in a way that, you know, who, who can I treat better than myself? Who can I be better than treating others as being better? Um, there's, there's a good, healthy way at putting others in front of ourselves. And that's what manliness looks like. Manliness doesn't look like being the smartest, the fastest, the strongest, the best looking, the best car, best house. It, it looks like who are the people, how, many, how long is the list of people that you put in front of yourself? And that's a different kind of measure of masculinity. Uh, no, no, that goes for women too. Um, but I think it's easy for us as men, as boys, to want others to serve ourselves. And, and we need to be training our children by letting them watch us serve other people. Yeah. Well, I've heard one description. The difference between a man and a boy is that a man knows when to stop. And boys just don't. You know, that's this, that that's about the best description of what people mean when they say boys will be boys. And when they say it about a six-year-old, it's about the mess in the living room. And when they say that about a 16-year-old, it's something that might have lifelong results, consequences. Uh, and we need to train up boys to know when to say no to themselves, to know when to stop. And, and, and the result of that, Justin, is going to be someone who's going to start placing people in front of himself, exactly to your point. Um, because they will say no to self, and I'm going to serve somebody else. And, and that's really at the heart of so much of, uh, of what we need to teach boys. Um, if they're going to be the head of a household, the first step at, being, at engaging in being the head is saying no to self and making sure that the arms and the legs and the guts and the feet are all taken care of. Otherwise, that head's going to fall over and die. And, and, and that's what we need to train our boys to understand. Really kind of interesting i guess this isn't a super profound thought but um a lot of the issues that adults have maybe not all of them but a lot of them that adults have are uncorrected problems from their childhood um they, they never grew up they never became adults um really in their thoughts or their actions or their desires or those kinds of things they never learned to deny themselves uh, they never learned to care about other people. They never learned to be giving or servants. They never learned to be self-controlled and those kinds of things. Things that if they were corrected when they were younger, wouldn't be an issue or as big of an issue when they were older. Um, and that's not always true, but uh, like, it, you know, we all know adults that act childish, <laughs> that act like they're kids, <laughs> um, that pitch a fit. And we've seen the videos, you, you, you see the highlight videos of the, the childlike adult in McDonald's <laughs> that their order gets messed up and they're screaming and pitching a fit, making a fool of themselves. Um, we need to train our kids to not be like that when they're kids so that they won't be like that when they're adults because wow, what a failure. Um, if, that's, if that's how you are when you're an adult, uh, that you'd never learn to just control yourself in a public situation uh, like that. Um, yeah, what, uh, to, that just made me think of an example, I don't know, I was just talking with, with my oldest um, at his birthday and I, we were at a diner and so I was saying something about how he was at an age where things were changing. And it's like, you're, it's like, and I had this 
silverware right in front of me. It's like you're moving from a spoon to a fork. You know, how much sharper is a fork? Um, and then eventually you'll become a knife. And that was just this quick, you know, what stage of life are you in? And what I realized at was, as I was trying to describe things for my boys as time has gone on, is that, you know, they're both forks now. They're both forks and they want to be knives someday. And I said, there's a lot of people out there that think they're knives and they never, they're just walking around old forks. You know, they never actually turned into a knife. They're 40 years old and they're still walking around like a 13 year old fork. They haven't figured that stuff out. And, and uh, just because you hit that magic 18 where you can leave the house or 21 where now I can buy and drink whatever I want to drink doesn't mean that you've magically changed into a new piece of cutlery. Um, you might still be the loser you were. Huge, huge problem in our culture. Uh, and some people call it like the Peter Pan syndrome or something. People that should be old enough to be men are just overgrown boys. Huge problem. Just, mm -hmm. we got to wind up here. Our time's about up. Well, just to that point, you made me think of the contrast between uh, Saul and David. Uh, Saul became this king who desperately wanted the approval of people around him. And he measured his own success as a king, as a man, based off the honor he got from other people. Um, David had his faults, but, but relative to Saul, David, David was someone who took his cues from his relationship with God. And kind of coming back to 1 Kings 2, I mean, that, that's, that's going to be the mark of real manliness. Um, we as men, and then we need to be training our boys, we, we need to be uh, helping them to see that it doesn't matter what so many other people think of them. It doesn't matter how many people are serving you, but how can I be useful in the kingdom? Uh, where are the people who are not getting care? Where are the people who are not um, being loved and being served? And wherever there's a gap, that's where I can step in. And if nobody else notices, that's fine. That doesn't mean I'm more or less of a man. It means that I served this person and God sees that. Uh, and, and wow, we just, there are a lot of people not being served, not being taken care of um, because there aren't men to step up like that. And we can, we can show them how, um, but yeah, there's a huge, huge gap, a huge call for men to step up and be manly. All right. Um, I want to explain what happened to me here. Pardon me, but there was a knock at the door and met a very interesting gentleman and think I got a new Bible study and looking forward to uh, uh, engaging with him more. Uh, real profitable conversation there. And we will see you all people back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, some of you will get that, some of you won't. And yeah, so thank you guys for your discussion. And we'll just remind everyone, if you want to uh, re-listen to anything that we've talked about either today or in previous shows, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv and go to the podcast and recording tab. And that will have all of our shows as well as all the shows from the Wednesday broadcast. Uh, or if you have any questions that you'd like to uh, have us think about before our next show or any other shows in the future, you can go to our same website, BibleQuest.tv and click on the Tuesday talk show and you can enter your name, email address and your comment or question there and we'll be able to look at those and maybe talk about your questions in future shows um, but that's all that we have for this week so thank you guys for tuning in with us and thank you guys for your discussion today and we will plan on seeing you next week lord willing